consider in the New King James Version by way of repetition, hear it again, read into your hearing, listen to God's word. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Let us pray. O oh Lord, bring this scripture to our hearts that we may live it and learn from it and have the victory in Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, some of you are weary, and the talk of a battle is just like enough to put you over the edge. You're talking about the Christian life as warfare, Pastor. I have enough of a war at work. I have enough of a war in my neighborhood. I, if I dare say it, sometimes me and my spouse, it feels like we're at war. And you're talking to me about a Christian warfare as the hymnal writer said, hear the words of Jesus, O my servant true. Thou art very weary. I was weary too. But that toil shall make thee someday all mine own. And the end of sorrow shall be near my throne. Yes, you are weary. Christ was weary. And he laid down his life for you. And it is in his sacrifice that we have the promise of victory at the throne of God. I would say to you this day that there are such wicked and demonic beings as we read of in verse 12. That it is possible that the warfare that you're already going through has something to do with this Christian warfare. It's not like we live in two discrete worlds. I'm not saying all the conflict you have with your spouse is demonic. Do not leave this place thinking that. We all got plenty of sin in our hearts, enough to make us argue with our spouse in unhealthy ways. I know I do. But I would say to you that the warfare that is spiritual against demons, that warfare spills over into our family life sometimes. And it can spill over into our work life and into our neighborhood, in our labor and our leisure. I once thought that when I went to Maine for vacation, that was the best time of the year. But you know, I took a vacation from my quiet time when I was going to Maine because we have so many other things to do up in the beauties of the Maine woods. And you know, that meant some, some of the worst arguments happened on vacation. Don't get so weary of God that you neglect him as you consider all these other warfares around you. The principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Doesn't it almost weary you just to read that list? All those 
beings against you? Come to Christ this day. Lest your morals be compromised, lest your effectiveness in Christ's church and in your home and in your workplace is, is undercut, come to Christ. Look at verse 12. It says in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The for indicates the reason for putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You put that on because we have supernatural opponents, the devil included, verse 11, but all these other manifestations of demonic influence. Will you overcome? Will you wrestle? It says in Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You are called to overcome in God's grace. You need to exert yourself in the process of sanctification. Will you understand the seriousness of your struggle this morning and for the rest of your life? Hear this, verses 10 through 11a, God's provision, God's provision of a splendid and sufficient armor. God's people are afflicted by supernatural enemies, verse 11b and 12. God's people are responsible to take up God's armor to stand firm, verse 13. God provides a sufficient and splendid armor. When we place our faith in God, he will strengthen us against the hordes of evil set against us. He says, finally, my brethren, at the law, end of this long book on God's grace, at the end of this long book that has played forth and shown forth the power of God in salvation to sovereignly move, to choose us, and then to save us, at the end of this book, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. You have to live out your life the same way God won your salvation in him. Place your faith in God through union with Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians 3 and 16. And it says there that he would grant you, 3.16 of Ephesians, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, may, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ. You see, strength is for the purpose of becoming strong enough people that we can apprehend and understand the depths of God's love for us even when we're in the middle of the battle. We have union with Christ. It says in verse 16 that the spirit comes in and verse 17 that that represents and is the mediation of the Christ dwelling in your hearts. So do what it says in 610. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That word be strong is the imperative and dunamo, which means to be strengthened with a dynamite kind of power. It's that dunamis, which is 
representing the power of the Holy Spirit as revealed in Acts chapter 1. It's through your union with Christ that you are empowered. You are strengthened. And that means something beyond yourself. The times that we fail most often are the times when we are weary of the battle. We are tired of fighting sin. And so we simply throw in the towel. We give up. We have run out of our strength. But that is the very moment where we plug into God's strength through prayer, through the appropriation supernaturally of a power that is not our own, but is from God. And this is a power, if you look in verse 10, where it says, we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That power is kratos. It is the Greek word which is displayed in Ephesians 1.19. Please go back to Ephesians 1.19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This kratos is the same power that raised Jesus from the tomb. It is the power that brought him to the right hand of God. It is the power which you see in verse 22 that he put all things under his feet. And that power is the very power moving on immediately to the context chapter 2 and verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. See, this is the power that raised Christ and raised you from spiritual death. This is the power that is available to us on a daily basis as we trust in God. And it is the power of his might and the import of might, which is the word iskus, is forcefulness. It means this is God's power inherently. It is what he is by virtue of being God. God is sovereign in his own character. God is not God if he is not sovereign. And God is powerful in his own character. Our strength is derivative. His is essential. Now trust in this God and come to him believing that if you ask him for strength, he will do far more beyond what you ask and think. It says in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, right after we were talking about the Spirit and the Christ and dwelling in us, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, trust him, realize that as we ask, he will sovereignly address our situation. He may not always take the game plan that we've laid out for him because he is sovereign. He knows what is best. He may not change the situation. He may shape your character through that situation. And in the end, my sisters and brothers, that's what you're looking for. You are looking for the shaping of your character to be Christ-like to prepare you for eternity. To be strengthened involves all that we're going to talk about today. But it rests in this. I will not be lying in my solitude. 
I will not think myself alone. I will call upon God. As it says in one commentator's writing, while the saints are no more than beggars, and while Paul's imprisonment looks like a tremendous setback, all the members of the congregation are urged to ask for God's help and sustenance, both for themselves and for Paul. In the congregation, no one is a lone, lorn creature. No one a self-made hero. The weakest members, as well as he who is considered strong, are equally dependent upon the intercession of their fellow saints unto Almighty God. You see, the fact is, we begin the process of putting on the armor of God when we admit that God is there and that we need him. This is what happened to Jim Kelly, who was the four-time Super Bowl participant, four-time loser, sad to say, who also almost lost his marriage in the early 2000s when he had an affair and almost lost his life in 2017 or 2018 when struck with a cancer in his jaw so close to his brain that the surgeon gave him a 10% chance of survival. And that man had a transplant out of his leg into his jaw and today lives in 2023, just this autumn in September he was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls out to God regularly, and he believes that God has changed him. And his wife says this, he's a different man, a totally different man, more humble, compassionate, mindful, and concerned. Sometimes I sit back and say, like, who is that person? At least 12 times a day, Jill, his wife, hears it. Sometimes it's a whisper. Sometimes it's as loud as a quarterback's play call. Lord, help me, Jim says. Come this day and humble yourself before God, asking for his help, for he has a splendid armor for you. It's a splendid, shining armor. It is an armor that is not only complete, which is one of the meanings of that root word in the Greek. It is also an armor which is shining. Panoplia can mean the whole armor of God, but it can also mean the shining armor of God, which has such radiance that it repels enemies simply by intimidation. You ever hear of shock and awe? from the 1991 invasion of Iraq. It's that shock and awe that led them to defeat a hundred days to retake. Of course, the story is long after that. But I say to you, there is a sense in which God, by clothing us in the armor of God, is preparing us with a splendid, beautiful armor which reflects his glory. It says in Isaiah 59, that in verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And then in verse 19, and they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. It's the glory of the Lord shown in his armaments. 
And then in Psalm 3, 2, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. This is a splendid, glorious army, armor, which prepares you for battle and even intimidates the foe. Come to Christ, believing him. Now, second, God's people are afflicted by supernatural enemies. Verses 11b through 12. You dare not face the wicked on your own. With Kelly, you need to confess, Lord, help me. Why do we need it? Because it says here at the end of chapter 6, verse 11, to stand against the wiles of the devil. He is wily and deceptive. First, he makes, mixes error with just enough truth to make it appear plausible. When talking to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he suggests that God is a meanie, that he's a cheapskate. He doesn't give them anything to eat and suggests they're not able to eat of any of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden, when in fact in 2.16, he gave them permission to eat of all except for one. The devil wants you to think that God is shortchanging in your life, and that gives you permission to go out and have sex whenever you want it. That goes out for you to become a selfish person and cheat people in the business world because God has cheated you, so I gotta make up for it. I gotta take care of number one. Don't drink the Kool-Aid of the devil. Don't let bitterness against God trick you into leading you into sin and breaking the Ten Commandments. Second, the devil misquotes scripture. And he, in Matthew 4, for example, is the one who says, go ahead, throw yourself off the top of the temple and see if the angels pick you up, misquoting Psalm 91 and 11 and 12, and ignoring the fact that this is a protection against an exterior enemy. It is not an invitation to suicide. It is not an opportunity for you to tempt the Lord your God, as Christ replies in Matthew 4, 7, quoting scripture, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Don't let satanic cultists twist God's truth to lead you into works righteousness. See, this is one way they twist scripture. For example, you could say Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. But the devil will twist that and say, go, you got to be peaceful with everybody. you got to be holy, and therefore, you got to earn your own salvation by your works. And indeed, there are those accusations that the devil has against us. Revelation 12.10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before. You know what they're accusing? You're not good enough. You haven't worked hard enough. You didn't do what you were supposed to do according to the Bible. You'll never get into heaven. You're no good. It's a temptation to believe in works righteousness that the devil on the basis of that, that the devil accuses us. But we are not to be lifting up ourselves at the temple of God. We are looked to Jesus, who is lifted up on the cross of Calvary. We are looked to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
We are looked to Jesus, who when we behold him on the cross and we behold him in heaven ascended, he is our righteousness. Don't let the devil twist the scripture. And the wiles of the devil include masquerading as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, that these preachers call themselves apostles, like hmm, Joe Osteen, Doug Wilson, all kinds of people who claim a great authority and do not teach sound doctrine from the Bible. Don't be tricked. And fourth, don't promise, let the devil uh, convince you to do good by doing evil. The devil tempted Jesus to bow down to the devil. And if he would, then if you'll worship before me, I'll give you all things. Do not compromise with the devil out of pragmatism. Look for the whole truth. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember this. We don't wrestle against the people around us. The people around us are not the enemies. John Calvin comments on this verse, and he also alludes to verse 16, where it says the devil is shooting darts at us, darts which come out of the silence. You have no warning before they hit you. And Calvin says, we should not let the injurious we should not let the injurious treatment of others provoke us to revenge. For those who bother us are merely darts from Satan's hand. While we are employed in destroying those darts, we lay ourselves to be open to other darts shot from Satan on all sides. We must go straight to the enemy who attacks and wounds us from his concealment who slays before he appears. We must ask God to deal with the supernatural power of the devil and all his minions and not try to eradicate the people. We'll get distracted that way and then the devil's gonna attack us on the other side. Keep this in mind and consider these four authority figures which are difficult to dissect as associated with particular levels of authority or certain kinds of beings, the best commentators tend to be modest in determining definitely what each kind of spiritually wicked being is or forces. But I would suggest to you that there are two things. First, that there are such things as demons. Sometimes they act invisibly. Sometimes exposed with their own bodies, like angels do, for demons are fallen angels. And we read in Revelation 18 2, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable Bird. And that picture there just is a picture of the ugly. You've seen pictures of demons. It's the ugliness of wickedness. And I do believe such beings exist. I have never seen, but they are abhorrent. But they also appear as angels of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. They look as very attractive beings who would lead us into lust or lead us 
into other forms of coveting material things. That's the demons themselves. But there is also the power of the demonic to occupy and influence earthly powers. Earthly powers which make up these lists of principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. They are political, business, academic, military, and cultural inf influencers. All these institutions and more can be influenced by evil. I am not saying that politics and business and academics and the military and cultural influences are inherently wrong, but these are just some of the places where they attack. Government totalitarianism, autocratic control, the financial influence of rich businesses to boycott a state because that state has said, we want certain laws in place that defend families. Scholarly, esoteric declarations. Just look up Peter Singer, if you're an adult, okay? If you're an adult, Peter Singer, horrific philosopher at Princeton University. Awful. Then there are the commands of military personnel personnel to transport women across state lines to get abortions. You have the rock stars and the movie stars who question biblical teaching on human sexual, sexual practice and sexual identity. The desire is to oppress Christian people, to undermine God's law, which is a holy and good law, to undercut the order of creation where God has made male and female and not some kind of concept of gender fluidity. It is to degrade marriage between one man and one woman for life, to seize control of the resources through taxation. So if you don't agree, we're going to be able to cripple you because we have the money, we have the control. And the idea that Christian behavior in America is limited to one hour on Sunday morning. We are, we are oh so gracious by uh, one of our uh, earlier candidates for president who said, you have freedom to worship anytime you want, but freedom of religion, no way. Stay out of the public square. So these are attacks that are on the grand and societal matters. But there can be personal attacks too. And here I would caution us that we would realize often the battle is won in our attitude. The attitude like the Pharisees who esteemed themselves as righteous compared to extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. You see, the attitude of Christians as we contend for righteousness is that we're inherently better. Don't you realize it? You're so wicked and we're so good. But that is spiritual pride. The dart that you need to avoid the most is the dart of pride thinking you're better than gay and lesbian people, that you're better than Republicans, that you're better than Democrats, that you are more worthy of salvation when in fact none of us deserve salvation. Remember this quotation of Jonathan Edwards, nothing sets a person 
so much out of the devil's reach as humility. It's in your bulletin. Nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. Humble yourself. Wrestle against pride daily. If you lift yourself up, he is going to strike you down. God is going to strike you down. But if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due time. And it's very important because it says that in 1 Peter 6. And then what does it talk about in verse 8? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you want to resist the devil, who is a roaring lion, humble yourself. And be responsible to take up God's armor to stand firm. The third point, verse 13. This is your responsibility, having been saved by grace, which is a monergistic work of God, justifying the ungodly, that you would be born again and then believe and then be justified. You are responsible with God in his grace for sanctification. This renewal happens as we do what it says in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, withstand in the evil day. The evil day is that day which precedes the victory of God. It is the day of darkness. And the night is darkest just before dawn. Come to Christ now. Trust him in the darkness of this present evil age. Come to Christ. Hold your ground. It says in verse 13, having done all to stand. Now we might think that means, okay, well, okay, having done all. Having done all, what can I do? Oh, I gotta go out there and I gotta win the battle for myself. I gotta actually win this battle when in fact Christ has won it at the cross and the empty tomb. The word having done all, katergazomai, means in one translation, take up arms. But in the context of the New Testament, it means to be prepared. If you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, we see there the meaning of katergazomai, which is to do, is defined and translated as, in 5 verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. God has prepared us. We are meant to be prepared for battle. Our battles are not to go out and wage the warfare ourselves. Rather, we are to be prepared to put on the radiant armor to stand in God's truth. And now turn over to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. We are not crusaders from the Middle Ages. We are not going out to kill Muslims. We are not people who are going to fight in a way which is inappropriate for a New Testament believer. It says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, we don't use human arms. We are sharing the gospel. We are using the truth, casting down arguments against the gospel that exalts itself against the word of God and against the Holy One. This is our battle. To be prepared and then to stand firm in the ground God has already won for us in his church. It is a glorious savior we serve. Trust in him. It says in Habakkuk 3 that the Holy One, and we know the Holy One is Jesus from Psalm 1610, who didn't see any corruption in the grave. The Holy One is the one whose glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. And then we see in verse 11 of Habakkuk 3, at the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittery spear, the resplendent power of God has already won the victory and now we are to stand in his splendor armor, trusting in Christ, obeying his word, being prepared to not be distracted by the battles we have with people, but to ask God to win the spiritual battle against darkness, be a people of prayer. While I have breath, I will pray. Do you see how they mock those who pray? Always fast and vigil. Always watch in prayer. That's what the demons are saying. And he says, the Christian, while I breathe, I pray. Peace shall follow battle. Night shall end end day. This day, my dear fellow believer, come to Christ in faith. Embrace your unity with him by the Holy Spirit and stand against the wiles of the devil as you put on the whole armor of God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, bless us this day. Help us to know your power. Work in our lives that we may be saved even by the Savior who died for us. And work in our lives that we may rest in his victory the glittering spear has preceded us, and now we stand and will stand in the splendid armor of God, which is sufficient for our sanctification and our protection, even unto life eternal. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.